Matthew chapter 28, I'll again read verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where whence Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I hope as we've been going through here, that your understanding of this commission is deepening and motivating. I hope that the Lord is working in our hearts by His divine grace so that we really come to understand exactly what the commission is teaching, exactly what the commission is doing, and how we are to be a part of that as a local New Testament assembly. And what we learned is that the commission is the means. It is the means by which God's eternal purpose, the mystery of His will, is, be, is to be fulfilled in every generation. And we've learned that even though the disciples, the eleven, were given this commission, we do have warrant as a church to take this commission and the authority of the commission unto ourselves. The authority of Christ in the commission was given to his apostles, those eleven. The apostles delivered it to the churches, including the authority that was behind this commission. And so therefore, only a New Testament church can really do the commission. No one individual can really fulfill the commission. It takes a local New Testament assembly. Of course, all of us as individual members are to be going. The aim is to make disciples of all the nations. But baptism is a local New Testament ordinance. Baptism is a local church ordinance. And of course, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you presupposes that God has gifted certain men as pastor teachers to the local New Testament church. And so there is an underlying understanding that those who have been made disciples will be baptized and will become members of local New Testament assemblies. And of course, if you want to speak of this commission from a human perspective, and I'm speaking foolishly here, if we forsake the means, this commission, if we forsake the means, then God's eternal purposes are hindered, at least from our perspective. We know that God's eternal purposes are never what? Never hindered. God's eternal purpose will be accomplished but from human perspective, for us to forsake the means is to hinder that eternal purpose. We saw that the eleven disciples, when they saw Christ, worshipped, but some were doubtful. This doesn't mean that there were some among the eleven that were unbelieving. 
What it means, and we've conjectured this from verse 18, is that Jesus must have been a little distance away, and so there were some of the eleven that really weren't fully convinced that this was him, but Jesus came up to them. And so, as he came up to them, I am sure that all eleven ended up worshiping him, bowing their heart to him, and recognizing his authority. And so, Matthew didn't record that, but he did record that there were some who were hesitant and they were doubtful that this was of the Lord. We saw last Lord's Day, and I would encourage anyone listening to this to go back and listen to the previous Lord's Day message. We talked about what biblical authority is, and I want us to turn back just to recover to Matthew chapter 8. What is biblical authority? Well, Matthew illustrates this when he presents to us the centurion. And the centurion was a Roman Gentile officer in the military. And of course, as we read here, verse 5, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's an amazing statement. Why does he say this? Verse 9, For I also am a man under authority. So when he says this, he's recognizing that Jesus as a man is under authority. Whose authority? God God the Father. And that he's a man who's under authority. There are military people over him. I am also a man under authority and soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he he does it. This is what authority and yielding to authority looks like. It's illustrated here. And of course, in that illustration, what you do see is that this is how a disciple functions. He learns to observe all that Jesus commanded, and as he learns, he not only learns the information, he also learns how to obey it. And so he recognizes Christ's authority, so if Christ says go, he goes. If he says come, he comes. If he says do this, he does it. And of course, none of us will ever be perfect at this until the day we see him and we are totally conformed into his image. And what a blessing that will be in that day. It is a burden to be rebellious. And it is liberating to be obedient. This is what the Bible says. Christ himself was obedient, and he is the son of liberty. And so, but by nature, by fallen human nature, and by our own choice, we are, we've grown as adults and as children, we grow to suspect authority. We grow to doubt authority, and we grow to critique authority. 
one of the things that I've observed through the years is that if in the church there's ever a disagreement between a person in authority in the church and a person that's, as it were, sitting in the pew, people always take the side of the person in the pew. They never say, hardly ever say to this person, you have problems, and you need to take care of this problem. No, they examine the authority, they critique the authority, they say, well, maybe you should have done something different, maybe you should have said it different, maybe you should have approached him earlier, maybe he shouldn't have approached him at all. We suspect and we doubt and critique authority. And really, at the end of the day, who's our authority? Who is our authority at the end of the day? Well, for a disciple it is the Lord, but we have this thing with inside of us in which we end up being the authority. Because we decide whether we like something that we hear from Christ or not. We decide how much impact that it has in our lives. We're not really a ready, yielding servant like we need to be. And folks, we just need to recognize that, that this is our default. And if I was to ask you, are you suspicious of our government today? You would nod your head, what? Yes. yes. <clears throat> if they come out and say, this is what science says, don't in your first instinct to doubt it? Mm-hmm. Of course. <clears throat> and our whole culture has fostered this. And then, don't you love this? You have all of these secret documents, you have all of this secret information going on, and then they'll, they'll bring up somebody and they'll question him, and we'll listen for five minutes, and we already know the answer. Because we think we have all the, <clears throat> we have all the information. And of course, we don't. And so, <clears throat> we have this illustration here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, of a man under authority and a people under him. And of course, the position of a follower or the position of a disciple is basically this. If Christ tells us to go, we go. If he tells us to come, we, we come. And if he tells us to do this, we, we do it. And blessed is the church that has a gathering of disciples. Not that we're perfect in this, but that it is our heart's desire to do this. And when that happens, what you have in a church is not a make-believe unity. You have an actual unity, a spiritual unity within that body. And so as we mature, we should be maturing in the spirit of obedience. We should be maturing in our learning and following of Christ and submitting to his authority. And folks, when we open our Bibles, as we are right now, and as you open your Bible on the weekday every morning, you pray, Lord, open my ear like a disciple. And so you open your Bible and you want to hear and understand exactly what it's saying, and then you want to apply that to your life, and then you want to obey it all to the glory of God. Now that brings us to verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. We've learned what is authority. We've learned our difficulty with authority. 
And now Jesus comes up to them, and by consequence, He comes to us this morning, and He speaks to us saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Now brethren, when you read something like this, and you read the phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth, there has to be something inside of us that reminds us of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. So when Jesus is saying that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth, what he is saying is over all of that which God's created, every bit of it, whether it's under the earth, in the soil, on top of the soil, or in the heavens that we see, visible, invisible, all of it, over every spiritual being, even over demons, and over Lucifer himself, over all things, whether they're recorded in the Bible or not, all things in heaven and on earth, all of the material creation, all that authority has been given to him in those two spheres. Now folks, when Jesus makes this statement, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he is probably building that statement off of Daniel chapter 7. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. We read this in our scripture reading. And let's look at this to see the similarity between the commission probably flowing out of this passage an actual reality, and what Daniel prophesied hundreds of years before the resurrection in Jesus making this statement. And I want us to read here Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Our Lord <clears throat> refers to this passage at His trial. He told the Sanhedrin when they commanded him upon an oath, Are you the Son of God? Jesus said, You'll see the Son of God, the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of glory. This is what he's referring to here. Every time in the books of the Gospel where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is referring to Daniel chapter 7 every time. And if you keep that in mind when you're reading what he is saying, then you'll understand that this passage was foundational in the mind of the human named Jesus the Messiah. What is saying here? Verse 13. Daniel kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, 
one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. Everybody see that word. When you read that he's been given dominion, that means that he's been given authority. That's what dominion is. If you would say that I have dominion in my home, I'm saying that I'm the one that has the authority within the home. A government has dominion over a nation. They have authority given by Christ over that nation. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, do you hear the Abrahamic covenant here? Not just Jews, but who? Jews and Gentiles. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion, his authority, is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Do you see the parallels here between these two verses that Daniel prophesied and what Christ is saying when he says, all dominion has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What is going on here? Well, if you look at verse 14 of Daniel 7, I'm just going to pull out four things for our understanding. Number one, Jesus Christ has been given dominion or authority. He's been given glory and he's been given a kingdom. He is the king, isn't he? And he's been given a kingdom which we're going to come to understand comprises of people of every nation and every tongue and every tribe. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. And he has been given that authority. And in Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew when it says, all authority has been given to me, The verb in the Greek is passive, meaning that authority is coming from someone outside of the man, Jesus Christ. Who is that one? It is God the Father. And here we see that, verse 13, we have the Son of Man. It means more than just that he's a human, but we see the Son of Man coming, and he comes up to the Ancient of Days, And he was presented before him. And as a result of that presentation, God the Father gave to him all authority, all glory, and a kingdom. That was God's loving gift to God the Son who took on human flesh. And folks, the reason why God the Father can give all authority to this man, Christ Jesus, is because God the Father can trust him. (laughs) 
If you were to give all authority to a human being, to a mere human being, would you trust him to exercise that authority righteously? And the answer to that is no. When we give authority to men, we know that we have a little saying here, and I don't remember the complete saying, but authority corrupts. But not with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ always and never exercises His authority for Himself. He never will use that authority for His own self-interest. He never uses that authority for His own self-preservation. A human being will do that, won't they? He will only use that authority to rule for God the Father. And folks, that's where Adam fell. Adam was given dominion, wasn't he? He was given authority over all of the creation and over all the animals. And he did not use that authority and rule over God's creation for God. He used it for himself and he actually betrayed his dominion when he disbelieved God and what he said, and he accused God of being a liar and followed and obeyed the serpent. And ever since then, man's been following and obeying the serpent. Jesus Christ has been given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And aren't you thankful that he doesn't rule for himself, but he only rules on behalf of God the Father. And folks, you know this. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, he must reign until he puts all authority under his feet. We don't see it yet. Does he have all authority? He has all authority. What is he doing right now? He's bringing all other authorities to the place where they'll be destroyed under his feet. That's what's happening. <clears throat> but it says that once he's put all authority under his feet, he will take all of that and he will give it to God the Father. So at the end, he has nothing, but he has everything. Everybody see that? Here's this one with all authority. Secondly, his dominion or his authority is everlasting. It says in verse 14, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His authority is an everlasting authority. That means that Jesus Christ with all authority, that authority will never be diminished. That authority will never be overthrown. That authority will always win. It will not be diminished. It will not be tarnished. It will, no sin will ever enter into any of that rule and authority. His authority is everlasting. Thirdly, 
He has a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And folks, what that means is not only will no other kingdom ever overtake this kingdom, but it means that death has no power over his kingdom. All the kingdoms of men degrade. All the kingdoms of men go from glory to destruction, including our own nation, is moving from its heyday of glory as a fallen nation to destruction. That's where we're heading. It could slow down. It could speed up. It could happen in our lifetime or it could happen in a lifetime away. But if Christ doesn't come, it will be destroyed like every other nation. Where's Egypt today? Where's Rome? Where's Babylon? Do we not learn our lessons? The answer to that is no, we don't. We repeat the same cycle all over and over again. His kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. And fourthly, and here's what I really want us to see because this is going to help us understand what a disciple is. What is the aim of His authority, glory, and kingdom? Look at verse 14 again. To Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, for this purpose that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might what? Serve Him. Everybody see that? Here is the aim, the purpose of His everlasting dominion, His exercise of authority, his kingdom which will never be destroyed is that the citizens of that kingdom would be slaves for him. They would serve him all the days of their life. And folks, when you look at Daniel chapter 7, and we'll go back to the commission, when you look at Daniel chapter 7, this is exactly what occurred. Psalm 24 says that when Christ entered into the heavenlies, the gates of that city cried out, Who is this King of glory? Open the gates. Let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord. The Lord mighty. He is the King of glory. And Christ entered into that heavenly city of Jerusalem. And he goes and he presents himself as the offering for his people. He is presented to God the Father who's sitting on that throne. And God the Father in response to his marvelous life of obedience, both passively and actively obeying the will of God and giving his life for those people, gave him all authority gave him glory, gave him a kingdom. 
That kingdom comprised of all peoples, all nations, all languages, so that that people might serve him, slave for him, or we could put it this way, that we might obey him all the days of our life. And folks, this is exactly what the commission is saying, isn't it? He is saying in this commission, go, make disciples, learner followers, who want to be taught to observe all things that the King of Glory has commanded, and we are to go and make those people of all nations, all languages, all over the world, so that those people, by regeneration, by being born from above, might become translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. And that one day, all of those people will be gathered together. It hasn't all happened yet. The church has not all gathered together yet. But there's coming a day when all those people will be gathered together and we will give Him praise and honor and glory and obedience forever and ever and ever. And if you don't want that, then you don't want to go to heaven. If there's something in your heart that doesn't say, Lord, I just wish I didn't have this rebellious sin nature in my flesh. I know I'm regenerated. I know I'm a child of God. But this thing, I am tired of being old wretched man. I want to be delivered from the body of this death. And to walk in His righteousness and to obey Him and to think His thoughts. That's what you want. And that's what every mature believer desires. And it's a growing desire all throughout our whole pilgrimage. This is what we're talking about. And how do you populate that? Well, Paul wrote, repentance toward God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, regeneration. If you say to yourself, well, you know what? I'm not really interested in obeying. I just, I just want to go to heaven. You will not enter. The gospel's aim is to make disciples. Not just people who label themselves as one. But people who are disciples from the heart. No matter how haltingly that might be. Now folks, we've got to admit that in Matthew 28, <clears throat> when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, we have to understand that there is a sense that He's always possessed all authority. You agree with that? Mm -hmm. The Son, now listen to the distinction, the Son of God is eternal. God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit are one. If God the Father has all authority, God the Son has all authority. If God the Son has all authority, God the Spirit has what? All authority. But why this authority had to be given to Him was because God the Son took on human flesh. To die for His people 
and to be a king, a priest, and a prophet in His humanity for us. And so when He did that, and He gave His life for His people, a sinless offering once for all, when He qualified Himself to be our high priest, as He acted faithfully to be our prophet by giving to us the revelation of God, this brought Him into the position as a man to be given all authority. And folks, God the Son taking on human flesh, He took on human flesh (coughs) forever. When you see God the Son, you will always see Him as the Son of Man, as a human. This is amazing condescension and humbling on God the Son's part. As a man, He was given all authority to be the second Adam. Was the first Adam given dominion? The second Adam has been given dominion. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, glorious in beauty, and He reigns as King over all regenerated Jews and Gentiles. How long? Forever. Forever. What a blessing. Now I want to close this by arguing with you for His authority. We know that we see His authority in the book of Matthew. And you'll see it in Mark, Luke, and John also. But specifically, we see His authority when we see His miracles. If all we see when we read about His miracles is, well, He does miracles, so He can do miracles for me, you've missed it. Did you hear that? You've missed it. The point isn't that God can do miracles. We know that already. He created the worlds. Was that not a miracle? He created all things out of nothing. What was the purpose of God the Son in His incarnation performing these miracles? Well, as I mentioned, it wasn't so that He would do miracles for me, although He can do that, can He not? But it was to testify for two things. Primarily, it was to testify to His authority. That's what you're supposed to see. And secondly, that authority gave credibility to Him to teach you about God and to teach
teach us the proper understanding of passages in our Old Testament. And you know he did that. You have heard, he said, you have heard it been said, thou shalt not murder. That's part of the ten what? Ten commandments. But then he says, but I say unto you, does that sound like someone claiming authority? But I say unto you, if you call a man a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. In other words, he's saying it's not just a matter of me not physically murdering somebody. It's a matter of what's in my heart and how I express it with my tongue. That when I call somebody, thou fool, I'm actually using my tongue to murder him. Now how can I receive that? Because he has all what? He has all authority to say that and to teach me about God. So what I did was, I went through the whole book of Matthew <clears throat> looking for manifestations of His authority on earth. And if you want this list, I'll give it to you later. I have 38. Now you think about it, we have 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. I have 38 instances, and there's more, I'm sure, of Jesus exercising authority, and this is what we need to see when we see these things happen. Now, before I give them to you, and I'm just going to list them very rapidly, I want to show you three summary verses in the book of Matthew that summarizes this authority. So go to Matthew chapter 4, very early here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> and of course, this is right after he exercises his authority over who? Over Satan. And you remember what he told Satan on the third temptation? Go. What did the centurion say? I say to people, go, and they... He told Satan, go, and guess what Satan did? He went. Do you see that authority? But here, here's a summary statement. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. The news about him spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, Demiacs, epileptics, paraplegics, and he what? He healed them. So does he have authority over paralysis? Yes. Does he have authority over epilepsy? Yes. Does he have authority over people who are demon-possessed? Yes. Does he have authority over, are you following this? Our pains. Yes. Does he have authority over disease? Yes, there's a summary statement of this. If you look again and you go further into the book of Matthew and go over to Matthew chapter 9, he's going to summarize it again. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. <clears throat> Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So now it's just not certain. It's all forms of disease and all forms of sickness. And you remember in another place, Jesus goes up to Peter's mother-in-law. She has a, a fever. Have you ever had a fever? And he goes to her, and the Bible says he rebuked the fever, and the fever left immediately. That's a man who has authority. This is what the centurion recognized. And in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 30, we have another summary statement here. It says, And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid, him down at, laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So here's a man who's lame, and Jesus not only heals his lameness, he gives him new bone. And it's not done gradually. He speaks to that man that's lame, and the man gets up and what? He walks. Like he's always walked. Like his muscles always didn't atrophify, didn't get weak. He just got up and began to walk. He didn't walk with a limp. He walked. Crippled people, blind people could see, mute people that couldn't speak began to speak, and many others. They just laid people down his feet no matter what the cause of it was, and I'm sure they didn't know the cause of it all, right? They laid them down at his feet, and Jesus healed them. That's a man with authority. And folks, after Matthew chapter 15... We have very few, we have some instances of him exercising his authority in this way and the reason why we don't have it after Matthew 15 is because he began to teach the disciples the exercise of the greatness of his authority when he said, the Son of Man is going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised on the third day. <laughs> That's a man with authority. So what is this authority? All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Let me give you some. He has authority by his title. He's called the Messiah. Because he's going to save his people from their what? Sins. Only a person who has authority could do that. He's his titled Emmanuel, God with us. God has all authority, does he not? And he's going to exercise that. He's introduced as a ruler and as a king, and the Magi come and they bow down before him. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? And he's introduced at his baptism as being the servant of Isaiah when God the Father spoke. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, quoting Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1. So he's introduced as the one, as Messiah. He's introduced as Emmanuel. He's introduced as king, ruler, and he is introduced as the servant of Isaiah. All of those four things, the case should have been slammed shut. He is the one with all authority but he goes on and he exercises it. 
His first exercising of it is over temptation. Don't you wish you had all authority over your temptations? He was tempted three times. And each one of them, He saw through the deception. He answered with the appropriate Scripture. And when He did, He silenced the tempter. Sometimes when temptations come and we have an answer for it and then the tempter just comes at another angle. But He silenced the tempter to the place He said, Go. And to whom He says go, they go. And Satan left him. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he has authority in his teaching, meaning he spoke as if there were no other options. Men who are Lord over their own life love preaching and teaching that basically says, if you want to do it, fine. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. Jesus did not speak that way. He spoke as a man with authority. That when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, he meant what he said, there's no other options, here is a God-favored man. Everybody hear that? He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Did he mean it? Did he put footnotes on it? No, he meant it. This is a God-favored man. When he says, don't swear by heaven and don't swear by earth, did he mean it? He meant it. And when he said, don't look upon a woman to lust after her, or for women not to look upon a man and lust after them, did he mean it? Or were there little options out there? Well, you could if you want to, you don't. No, he spoke as a man with what? With authority. Pharisees couldn't do that. He spoke without authority. He has authority over leprosy. We have a good friend who ministered among the lepers. He had to take medicine. The Lord used the medicine. Jesus had no medicine. He healed the leprosy. He has authority over leprosy. He has authority over paraplegics. He has authority over fevers. He has authority over the winds and the sea. He has authority over nature. Here He is on the Sea of Galilee. They're about to die. Lord, don't you care? We're going to perish. He said, oh, you have a little faith. He just gets up and says, cease. And the winds of the waves said, maybe. Is that what they said? No, they, it stopped. This is someone who has authority. He says, stop, and it what? It stops. He has authority over violence. He has authority over sins. He has authority over bleeding, hemorrhages. He has authority over death. He has authority over blindness. He has authority over muteness. His authority, he can delegate it. He delegated his authority to the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10 as they went out and prepared the way before him. He has authority over the poor. He has authority over blindness. He has authority over who he gives the gospel to. He has authority over the Sabbath. They kept accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. He says, the Son of Man's Lord over the Sabbath. Hallelujah. It's him that has that authority. 
He has authority over withered limbs. Could you imagine this? Seeing a withered limb, one that's not been used. I have an uncle who has a withered limb that came because of a car accident. He can't use it. Jesus speaks to that withered limb and what? Immediately it's healed. He has authority over blind, the mute, the demiacs. He has authority over famine. He feeds 5,000 men. It's amazing. He doesn't even have enough food to do it. He just takes a few fishes and a few loaves and he lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And he begins creating bread and fish as he hands it out to the disciples so that after everybody is full and fed, they have 12 baskets left over. He has authority over your cupboard. He has authority over water. He's walking on it. Amazing. And he can give that authority to men. Peter walked on the water for a little while. Why could he walk on the water? Because Peter was in the boat and says, you know what? If he could do it, I could do it. No. He said, Lord, tell me to come. Do you hear the authority? I say to one go, I say to one come. He says come. Peter climbs out of the boat. This is amazing. He climbs out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. How could he walk on the water? Because the one with all authority told him to come. That's how. And folks, when the one with all authority said go over the other side, you're going over to the other side. And that's why the disciples, oh ye of little faith, they didn't believe it. He has authority walking on the water. He delegates authority. He has authority over all diseases. Now, now hear this. By people touching his garment. You say, I know. I know. That was a special garment. It had to be a magic one. No. Why do we always want to find some kind of magical thing that we can manipulate? It wasn't the garment. It was him, the one with all authority. And then when that woman who had that hemorrhage touched the fringe of that garment, the Bible says that Jesus felt power flow through him. Not from the garment. But people were touching his garment and they were being healed. I can't imagine how the disciples would have had to surround him to keep from him being mobbed to death. He has authority over cruel, demon-possessed people. You remember the one that came out of the tombs. He was so violent, people couldn't even control him, even with chains. And yet, when that man saw Jesus, he came running up to him, and I don't know if the disciples' eyes got really big, like, oh no, we're in trouble, and he just falls down in front of him. He has authority over violently demon-possessed people. He has authority again over famine. He has authority over the curse. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Here he is and the Lord allows just a little glimpse into the glory. Now folks, at the Mount of Transfiguration you saw a glimpse of his glory. Are you with me? But when Jesus prays in John 17, he says, Lord, restore to me the glory that I had with you at the foundation of the earth. Whatever glory that you saw there, and it was glorious. 
was nothing compared to the glory that he had with the Father before all creation was even created. He has authority over lunatics. He has authority, aren't you, think about this, he has authority over all your circumstances. He sends them. He takes them away. He gives you grace to endure in it. He has all authority. He has authority over the blind, over the lame. And His authority, as He got brought into the trials, it was His authority that they questioned. They didn't question His miracles because they didn't see His authority being exercised with the miracles like many don't today. But they questioned, who gave you this authority and by what authority are you doing these things? He had authority over testing. He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Great drops of blood. He has authority over angels. You remember when Judas came and betrayed him. Peter took up the sword and cut off Malchus's ear, and Jesus heals that. And he just looks at Peter and he says, Don't you understand that I could pray right now and get 12 legions of angels to come? 12 legions of angels is 72,000 angels. I'm sure they outnumbered the few Roman soldiers that came to get him. He has authority over the angels. And folks, when he stood and that chief priest, high priest, adjourned him, swore by God Himself, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? He quotes Daniel 7. And when he quoted it, what he was saying to that man is, all authority. I have authority now. I will have all authority then. And I will come in the clouds of glory. And all men will see me. And folks, it is to that authority that people must bow the knee today. It's not enough just to get people to pray a prayer. They have to have a work done in their heart by the Holy Spirit through the hearing of God's Word to give them a new heart for this. No human being does this perfectly, but when a person gets truly regenerated, there is, and it's very weak, and it's very immature, but there is something in the heart that says, I will submit to Him, and I want to be like Him. And folks, we have perhaps tens of hundreds of thousands of people in churches this morning who claim the label of Christian but have never bowed the knee. They want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. But that's it. They really don't want to be saved from the thing that sends them there. They want to keep sinning and go to heaven. 
And yet the Bible's very clear that the new covenant was given, and when a person is regenerated, God writes into their heart the law of God. Now you could say that that's the Ten Commandments, but at its very foundation, it is a desire to obey God. All authority has been given. And folks, pretty much everything that I've said to you at this point was on earth. But He's not on earth. He's where? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. And folks, all authority hasn't been given to the church. All authority is Him. The only authority that a church has is their reflection of what He says. When I go to someone and I say to them, you must be saved from your sin, and the only one that can deliver you is the risen Christ, I can say that with His all authority. Right? No options. And folks, when we give people the gospel, we don't need to apologize for it. And we don't need to give it to someone as if they really truly have an option. Now we know they can reject it, right? But there's no other option for the good of their soul. This is it. And until the church itself begins to understand this authority and begins to understand the authority that's been delegated to the church as we give to people exactly what Christ said, we will never be able to go out and fulfill the Great Commission properly. You've got to feel that authority when you go and knock on a door or to put literature on the doorknob or in the mailbox. You've got to know when you're doing that that the one who has all authority has told us to do it and he is behind us doing it. Everybody with me? As long as you just see this as some kind of option and you look at it as just mere duty and this is what I'll do and you fail to remember the authority that's behind this, the one who has that all authority, your fears will be greater than what they should be. What is our spirit toward Jesus Christ who possesses all authority? What is your attitude? What is your demeanor? Does your life testify that you are not Lord over your life? That He is Lord over your life? Or do you deny it? Folks, the one who has all authority says to people who profess Christ, 
Are you a disciple? And if you say yes, the one with all authority says, you are to be baptized. Did he not say that? And he says to join a local New Testament assembly where you learn to observe. Did he say that? The one with all authority said that. The one with all authority said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Did he say that? He said that. This isn't hard. Folks, we must yield ourselves to Him. And the measure of our reward will be the measure of our conformity to Jesus Christ who always obeyed the will of His Father. Everybody hear that? May we do the same. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed.